You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. All right, Rev Church. Everybody say, yeah, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> so good to see everybody this weekend. Hey, we're kicking off a two-week marriage series called Super Showdown, Husband versus Wife. And uh, we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 this week, and we're going to read verses 22 through 24. I've got somebody that's going to help me out with my points this week after I exposit this scripture a little bit. But before we get started, I want to make sure that we do this first. Um, We need to give a definition of what we believe at Revolution Church marriage is. Uh, The definition of marriage in our culture has been really up in the air for around the last 10 or 15 years. And at Revolution Church, we have five or six different generations of people that come here. So we're not hating. We're just telling you we base this definition off of what the Bible tells us. So we believe that marriage is defined as uh, a biological male and a biological female being married in the eyes of God, in the eyes of their church, and in the eyes of the government. So if you're in here and you qualify yourself in that way, then this series is absolutely going to help you over the next two weeks. But if you're in here and you don't qualify yourselves as in a marriage in that way, then you're going to find out here in just a minute why this series is absolutely going to help you as well. So let's start in Ephesians chapter 5 in verse 22. Y'all with me? Say, I am. Here's the scripture, and this is what it says. Wives, submit. Everybody say submit. One, two, three. Submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit. Everybody say that word again, submit. One, two, three. Submit. Man, we love that word, don't we? To their husbands in everything. I want to make sure that we make this clear at the beginning of this series, and I want to make sure that every single female in here understands what we're trying to say this weekend. So I want us to recognize something that's very powerful and why this scripture was so groundbreaking in the scriptures on marriage in the New Testament. You know, of everyone in human history, I believe that women owe their liberation, for lack of a better way of putting it, to one person, and that is Jesus Christ. At the time the Bible was written and the time Jesus did ministry, you need to know how women were viewed in society. Women were excluded from Roman citizenship. They were considered to be at the level of a slave, a criminal, or a child. In fact, in Roman culture, men could sell their wives into slavery if they so choose, or they could decide to have their wife executed if they didn't want to have them anymore. Women were not included in the census. Most women were not even given their own name. The first daughter that was born into a family was typically given uh, the female version of the father's name. And the second daughter was typically given the name Secunda, which guess what that means? Second, which is second daughter. And the third daughter was given the name Tertia, which means third. And so they weren't even given their own name. And Marriage at this particular time in culture was more contractual. It had absolutely nothing to do with love, and that's why this is so groundbreaking. In fact, one Roman writer wrote this. 
He said, marriage brings only two happy days. The day a husband clasps his wife to his breast and the day he lays her in a tomb. Cesaro, the great Roman writer, was quoted as saying, women, because of their weak intellect, should have guardians to take care of them. I don't know if you remember the story in the parable Jesus told of the Pharisee that was at the temple praying one day, and he compares this Pharisee to a tax collector that's praying. And the Pharisee prays something like this, thank you God that I'm not like these tax collectors, that I fast so many times a day. Well, that was a take on a common prayer at the time. Even in the Jewish culture, we saw extreme thought on how women should be downgraded. Uh, a common prayer that the man, men would pray in the morning, Jewish men would pray was, thank you, God, that you didn't make me a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. Most Jewish men believed they had the right to divorce their wife. Uh, they only needed two witnesses. And wives had absolutely no right to do so in their marriage. Wives had no rights whatsoever in the marriage. Well, then enter the ministry of Jesus. Jesus comes to this earth and He's seen talking to women. He's seen forgiving women. He's seen showing grace and mercy to women. He's seen loving women. We read scriptures like women ministered to Jesus. One of the ways you know the Bible is true is because when the New Testament talks about women in such a high regard, this was scandalous at the time. There were women that were involved in his ministry and did ministry. You fast forward to the early church and we see deaconesses. We see Paul constantly refer to women leaders in the church. We see scriptures like in the kingdom of God, there is neither male nor female. So we need to understand that Jesus has a high regard for females. Our problem with the scripture really comes in the word submission. In our culture, the word submission is really viewed as negative, and I want to make sure that we have a total understanding of what this word means in the Bible. The word submission is actually a military term that means to place oneself under. Uh, but this word is written in the Greek in what's known as middle voice. When something is written in middle voice, what it means is it's not something you're forced to do, it's something that you willingly do. That's the idea with submission as far as wives submitting to their husbands. In fact, most people equate submission to obedience. But in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, it says this, Wives, submit, there's the word submit, yourselves to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And then it says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the, world, the Lord. Two different words are used for submit and for obey. The word submit here, the context and the connotation implies this and it means this. Wives, share your opinion and help make the decision, but ultimately submit to the headship of your husband over the home. The word obey does not mean the same thing. When it talks about children obeying their parents, what it means is, don't even share your opinion because it doesn't matter what you think. Just do what we said. And all the parents said, amen. Stop arguing with me and just do what we say and obey. Furthermore, in the New Testament, we see submission is a theme for all Christians. The church submits to Christ. The church is supposed to submit to leadership of the church. Children are supposed to submit to their parents. In verse 21, 
of the Scripture. I just read you the verse before verse 22, the one that is our main passage today. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ before it even starts to begin to talk about wives submitting to husbands. Here's the idea when it comes to submission. None of us can fulfill the purpose in our lives that God has for us without an attitude of submission. Every single believer, every single Christian should have an attitude of humility and submission in some way, shape, or form. Who's our greatest example? Our greatest example is Jesus Himself. There's an interesting story where Jesus was left at the temple when He was a boy. His parents literally messed up, and you've got the Son of God here, and the Scripture, go back and read it, says that when his parents came to get him from the temple, he went the rest of his life and submitted to his parents. We see Jesus say things like, I only do what the Father tells me to do. And inside the Trinity, we see this submission take place between the Godhead. That It's this beautiful deference where Jesus only does what the Father says, so he submits to the Father. The Holy Spirit submits to Jesus because he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. So it's like the Holy Spirit submits to Jesus. Jesus said things like, I came, I came not to be served, but to serve others. So we see a picture of Jesus even submitting Himself to others when He died on the cross for every single one of us. Now, I say all this to say this. If you're here this weekend and you're married based on our definition, as I said, these two weeks is going to change your life. It's going to be amazing. But if you're here this weekend and you're single, these two weeks are going to change your life. If you're here this weekend and you've been divorced, these two weeks are going to change your life. If you're here this weekend and you're a widow or you're a widower, these two weekends are going to change your life. I would encourage you, don't be concerned in being here that, oh man, this is not going to apply to me. Number one, consider this, and I know everyone at Revolution Church knows this is true, and this is what you want. Maybe this series isn't specifically for you, but it's for the husbands and wives that need this desperately. So instead of worrying about how much you're going to get out of this, number one, I would tell you, please pray for every single couple that absolutely needs this series because Revolution Church is only going to be as strong as the nucleus of the families that we build here. Amen, Rev Church. So pray for people. You're a widow in here. You were married. Now your husband's died or something like that. Man, you need to be given the loudest amens of all because we need the young couples in here to get this stuff. But secondly, I say all this to say, every point we share today is absolutely going to apply in your relationship with Christ. Because today what we're mainly going to talk about is, wives, how do you submit to your husbands? What does it look like to submit? And really, what does it look like? What does your husband need from you so that he feels that you're following what the Bible says? And so I've got somebody that's going to help me do that. It is my wife, Brooke, who's going to come out right now. Everybody give her a hand as she comes out. She's doing really good. What's going on? Good. We had a good first service, didn't we? We did. It wasn't too bad. It it went really, really well. So um, I don't know. Go back and get it. I'll show y'all this if she makes sure she's got the right mic. Um, This is a picture of our wedding day. You guys go ahead and put that up. There we are. That's me, my wife. 23 years ago. Okay, 23 years ago. That's my grandfather in the middle. Fun fact, um, he called Brooke Butch when he was doing the wedding. He was like, do you, Butch, take Josh and... 
He could sure. not say my name. I don't know it why. It was really funny. And so I want to say this before we really get into the points this weekend. We've been married for 23 years. I'm 43 years old. I'm not going to tell you how old she is. And I could say something really funny, but I'm not going to, okay? But, um, but we've been married 23 years, 43 years old. So yes, we absolutely are going to talk about things from a biblical perspective, but the experiences that we're going to share are from a 43-year-old that's been married 23 years. So if you're in here and you've been married 50 years and you're in your 80s, just be careful thinking to yourself, oh, wait till they get 60. They're going to have a totally different idea about this when they're 60 or something like that. I don't know. If you're in here and you've been divorced, we've not been through that, and we would never insult you to try to say we understand what you're going through. So fair enough, Rev Church. Everybody say amen. amen. And so everybody, let's try to, try to make this work as best we can. You ready for this? Ready. Point number one. Husbands need respect. Being married to you is nothing like I thought it would be. You don't bring me gifts anymore. You never make it in home in time for dinner. You never take me on dates anymore. Like, it's really hard to respect you when I don't feel like you're meeting my expectations. Mm, what's your expectation? I'm not a woman. I mean, goodness gracious. That's why we had to define it at the beginning. Okay, yes, y'all, like, yes. what in the world? So. so our culture does not respect the biblical roles of marriage. Um, listen to Ephesians 5. We just read it. Wives, submit to your own husbands as the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. And our culture does not like that terminology, head of the household. So what does respect look like? It looks like speaking highly of your husband. Um, culture says it's okay to speak your truth no matter how hurtful it is. Culture is also very sarcastic, which we are. You guys saw our videos. We're very sarcastic and we have a lot of fun, but it can't cross the line of to disrespect each other. Um, culture says to be true to yourself. Um, let me tell you a story. I was at a wedding rehearsal about five years ago. And the pastor asked the couple, at the end of the ceremony, I'm going to introduce you. How would you like me to introduce you? And all of the bridesmaids started yelling, do not take his last name. Do not give away your identity. If you take his name, you're going to lose yourself. And so she listened to this advice. And um, she went into it with this idea of his and hers instead of ours. She went into it with mine and yours instead of ours. And that couple actually did divorce um, three years later, years later. because they, I feel like they really went into it thinking, eh, this is just a ritual. It doesn't really mean And that's based on anything. respect, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I would say, um, just to add to that, uh, Ephesians 5.33, and we'll go over this more next week, but it says, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. In the New Testament, you see this idea, again, this is a willing submission. This is not a forced submission. You see this idea of a husband earning the respect. It's an earned respect uh, from the wife. And so, again, we'll talk about that more, but men should provide, protect, be unselfish, uh, provide stability for the wife. And so I would just encourage the men in here to consider that, that if your wife is struggling with respecting you, well, are you sitting in the basement playing video games 15 hours a day, five days a week, and you don't have a job, and you never do anything you say you're going to do? So I want to preface that before you go yes. any further yes. in saying that it is an earned respect that men are to capture from their wife. Right. Yeah. yeah. And ladies, we have to train ourselves to accept and practice 
the godly roles in marriage. Um, this means compromise and giving up your own needs and your own wants. It means serving each other. Like he said, I had dinner ready on the table one night this week, but he brought me coffee the next morning. So we serve each other because serving is Christ-like. Serving shows humility and respect. Um, and if you're struggling with respect for your husband, figure out why. Um, maybe it's a show that you're watching. Maybe it's an influencer on social media. Um, maybe it's just the friends or the people at work that you're hanging out with that are they're giving you really bad advice. Yeah, I, I grew up, okay, with TV shows like Married with Children. <laughs> Al and Peggy Bundy were my examples, y'all. Roseanne. And so the examples that I saw were all about women that thought their men were just dopes and they treated them horrible and they were awful to them. Uh, the Simpsons, you know, even shows like Home Improvement where, where the husband can't even fix his car without totally ruining it. He's just an idiot and that's the way we're viewed. And so when she talks about those out, outside influences, you got to be really careful because it absolutely will shape the way you view your husband. It absolutely will shape the way you treat your husband because... Uh, yeah, we, we are a more sarcastic society, that's for sure. And I would just say, ladies, you need to understand that men gravitate toward the places where they get the most honor and respect, which also means men gravitate away from the places where they don't get honor and respect. And so if you're in here and you're trying to connect with your son, you're trying to connect with your boss, you're trying to connect with your, your dad, you're trying to connect with your husband, you need to understand that they will not gravitate towards you unless they sense that there is honor and there is respect. And maybe too, like you have a picture in your head of how your marriage is supposed to be and it's not fitting into that picture. Um, you could definitely lose respect. About seven years into our marriage, I um, got a book called uh, The Power of a Praying Wife. It's by Stormy O'Martian. It's a really good book. And I was like, I'm gonna fix him. I'm gonna fix him. And so let me read you the first paragraph of this, uh, of this book. It says, do not get your hopes up that this book is about how you're going to gain control over your husband. It's about how you are going to lay down all claim to power in and over yourself and rely on God to transform you. So today is really a wake-up call to work on ourselves, ladies. Um, are we angry? Are we bitter about something? And I learned early in marriage that guys are not mind readers. As much as we want them to be... It's and, science. Yeah. It really is. Any guys in here mind readers? That's what I'm just saying. I don't know why. I was talking to a girl about this the other day. We desperately want our husbands to just know things and just to read our minds, but... They can't. And if we ask them to try, they are going to get it wrong every single time um, because they just cannot. They cannot read minds. Um, another thing to consider if you're losing respect is that maybe you're running on empty. Um, Gary Chapman, one of my favorite um, authors, wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. You need to read it like yesterday. And if you don't have time to read it, at least go take the quiz. It's free online and you can find out what your love language is and what theirs is. And also, I want to tell you, that changes over time. Like, we've, we've taken that quiz again more recently. So if you haven't taken it in a long time, consider going back and taking it again. 
Um, but I was talking to a, a young wife recently and she was running on empty and she was not communicating that with her husband. Um, he was working full time and going to school full time. And guess what? He was running on empty too. And but neither of them were talking about this, but both of them were expecting each other to love each other and to fill up their love tanks. And it just wasn't working. So ladies, we have to know our husbands because their definition of love is respect. And if you know how to fill them up, then they will feel respected. Um, and another thing is we tend to love the way that we love. We feel love. So like if your love language is gifts, you feel loved by receiving gifts, you probably buy gifts for people. But that not, might not be the way that they receive love. Um, when we first got married, mine is acts of service. And so when we first got married, I would do things for him all the time, like clean out his car and do his laundry. And I was just so proud of myself because I had loved him. He did not care. Like, he was like, oh, thanks. You know, I, I spent all day cleaning out his car and he did not even care at all because that was not the way that he felt love. But what was really, really cool is once we figured this out, so his is words of affirmation. So he would, acts of service, he would clean the living room as an act of service. And then I could turn around and his is words of affirmations and be like, oh my goodness, thank you. You're the best husband ever. The living room looks so good. Thank you for taking time. And so just, he would do something for me and I would do something, like say something to him and it would work. So figure out those love languages. Figure it out. The real unrealistic expectations is one of the biggest problems in marriages that we see when we've counseled with people. And so I don't know how to put it other than guys in here, uh, She's not going to be an Instagram model, okay, uh, or, or whatever. He's not going to be Prince Charming, okay? Ladies in here, you've been raised on a certain culture that's Cinderella, uh, uh, The Notebook, all these stupid movies that do not portray how guys are. I'm not even going to get started. I'll go on a rant. I'm, I'm losing my voice already. So, But, yeah, yeah just, uh, just be careful. Realistic expectations because if you're single right now, heading into marriage, and one day you hope to be married – Right now, just go ahead and make those expectations known. Um, I'll say this. Even a great husband makes a really poor God. You know what I mean? So if you think that a perfect husband is going to be something you can worship, man, man, pursue Jesus first. Pursue Jesus first and understand you're marrying a flawed human being uh, with all kinds of issues. We good? Good with that one? Yeah, go to the next one? Good. Husbands need trust. Well, I would trust you, but you tell me that you're on your way home from work and you stop at the gym for two hours. And I just feel like you're lying to me. I'm not lying. I told you I was on the way. I didn't know you wanted me to tell you exactly when I was going to be home. What's the big okay. deal? Okay. So first ladies, know that your life is between you and your husband. Um, when he makes you mad, and he is going to make you mad, when he does, that is between the two of you. Everybody doesn't need to know that. Listen to Mark 10, 7 through 8. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one. So your marriage is between you and your husband. Yeah, let me say this. Um, when it comes to trust, and I think this is true with our kids, with people we work with, but especially in a marriage, there's no in-between. You're either building trust or you're tearing it down. And I'll just go ahead and speak for the guys and say, we already can't trust anybody. That's how most men in here feel. 
We, we can't trust. Somebody tells us they're going to do something. We always have a caveat in the back of our head of, we'll see if that gets done. I mean, we rarely have anyone in our lives that we can trust. And every guy in here should want to be able to completely trust their wives. And so wives, what she said is so important. You can't go to the hair salon and run him down. You can't go to mama and daddy and just be like, oh, he's a dog and he's doing this. I mean, the Bible says you leave and cleave. It says leave your mother and father. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and say this. If it's okay, I may be getting ahead of myself. But when we do marriage counseling, we find one of the number one things that causes more drama in marriages than anything else is outside influences of people. And that comes from the fact that she has a best friend and that best friend is her mom. And boy, if mom's your best friend, ladies, and you're telling her everything that's going on in your marriage, you also have drama. She's butting in. She's telling you how to do everything. She won't get out of your life. Same thing with the mama's boys in here. You know what I mean? If you're up constantly, I mean, and that's just an example of family, people you're really close to, you're supposed to leave them and you're supposed to be united. The word picture in the Bible is you're glued together to that person. So you've left them and you're glued to them. And so, so if you're going to do that, make sure that you are, are 100% that he can trust you. You know what I mean? That's what we're talking and about, trust. Friends and family, they're biased towards you. I mean, they're, when you're mad, you usually move on and get over it, but they can't. And they remember forever how he hurt my baby or he hurt my best friend. And I'm going to... You know, I'm going to stand with you, and then it's us against them. So it's not good to bring outside influences in. Yeah, be very, very And I felt led to say this, too. Be careful with male friends. Even if they're Christians, be very careful. Um, Proverbs says that it's a dangerous scenario, and the husband will show no mercy in revenge. I do not ride alone in a car with um, a male. And I, in this building, I do not stay alone in this building with a male. Um, the Bible says to abstain from all appearance of evil, but I don't want to give the enemy a foothold in my marriage. Um, the real enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy our marriage, and I don't want to help them out in any way, and everyone is susceptible. Yeah. I mean, we cannot, we cannot go through life thinking, oh, that would never happen to me. You don't know. The enemy's right there, and he's sneaky, and he's figuring, he's trying to scheme up ways to mess with our marriages. Um, Steve Harvey says the only reason a guy would be, I'm not saying this is true, okay, but the only reason a dude would be friends with a girl is because, well, you know, well, Steve Harvey her. does say that. Yeah, he does that. say that. But I will say this. You will not find a place in the New Testament where it says that women are supposed to disciple men one-on-one. -on -one, or men are supposed to disciple women one-on-one. -on -one. Yes, pastors teach the whole church and so on and so forth. You can't find an example where a pastor is supposed to meet one-on-one -on -one at a coffee house with one of the women in the church so that he can disciple them. And so be very, very careful because if you've got that going on, um, that's going to end in disaster. I want disaster, you to trust me, you know, and um, I think about at a wedding, what They're do they say? called guardrails. What, right? Right. Yeah. what God has brought together, let no man separate. Yeah. So we have to be Book careful. of Proverbs says, how can a man pour hot coals on his lap and not get burned? Mm -hmm. And so we put guardrails in place for a reason because we're not trying to get up to the very edge of the stage and see how close we can get before we fall off. We're trying to stay away from the edge of the cliff, if that makes sense to everybody. And so uh, be very, very careful with that. 
So, sorry, I didn't mean. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll share one more thing about this point. Uh, as it comes to trust, Colossians 3.18, we just read it. Wives submit to husbands, but keep this in mind, as is fitting in the Lord. And so we're not saying that you trust your husband down a path of sin. Okay, like we said last week about parents honoring the role of parent, but not honoring sinful behavior. You can honor the role of the husband, uh, but if your husband's lost, doesn't know Jesus, or involved in very sinful behavior, you don't involve yourself in that. So we're not saying that you just blindly obey and submit. We're not saying that at all, okay? You can honor your husband without getting drunk every weekend with him. You can honor your husband without getting involved in uh, sexual fantasies and different things like that. And so uh, we're not saying that. Just just uh, trust him means really, really it mainly means just don't talk junk about him, right? If you're going to talk junk, talk to him about it. Mm-hmm. And then be mindful of how you do it so you can show respect, right? right. Okay, what's the next one? All part? right, thirdly, husbands need peace. Oh, man, that's all we want. That's all we want. Every husband has a detector, don't we? <laughs> Where we can tell when we put our foot in the door, is this going to be a good night at home or a bad night? Has she lost her mind? Oh, she's on a cleaning spree. I'm going to hide. You know what I mean? Oh, mama's called a family meeting. We know what that means. She's going to lose her mind. You know what I mean? All right, All right ladies, I'll, I'll say it. We are overwhelmed. We've got society's expectations on us, our own expectations on us, and some of us work all day. The house is a wreck. We're behind. We're not even meeting our own demands. And we walk in the door, and we are immediately defeated. Um, And if we have kids, there's homework. We've got to figure out how to get dinner on the table. I think about my grandma. She gardened. She canned. The beds were made every single day. She worked a full-time job. And um, she, she was just amazing. Like, I felt like she could do it all. And when my sister and I, we had babies about the same time, we called each other one day. We were both crying. How did Grandma do it? How did she do it? We can't even get a shower. I mean, we just I know. I know how she did it. I know how. She didn't binge watch Netflix and she didn't have a smartphone. <laughs> That's true. That's Here's true. a tip for you. Ladies, if you're losing your mind, maybe consider canceling Netflix. Maybe go to a flip phone. Maybe. There, it is a real distraction. Is that she applicational? Have, Come yeah, on, man. It is. It is. is. That little thing on your phone that says you've been on your phone for 11 hours and 53 minutes, and then you're frustrated because you didn't get the laundry done? Once we get... Once we get I'm not talking about her. Who are you talking about? I do my own laundry. We've already established this. What's trying to get me in trouble? Oh. Once we get started down this path, though, of being overwhelmed, we can lose it. And we all lose it in different ways. Some of us rant and rave. I know I do. Some of us give the silent treatment. Some of us just break down and cry. Um, We're all different in how we deal with being overwhelmed. But once we get in that mindset, it is so hard to get out. And the only way to get out of it is to not get in it in the first place. So the other day, uh, I did. I lost my mind. I'm, I'm just confession time right now. I lost my mind. I mean, like y'all know we're real people. Like you know what I mean. Like we're pastors and their families. So I was. I mean, going we, we don't fight. We have fellowship that yeah. the neighbors can hear. <laughs> Nobody was safe 
uh, that day in our house. And after I became embarrassed and realized that, the, you know, what the real problem was, the real problem, and I'll tell you, is this every single time, is that my time with God was suffering. That's it. That's it every single time because our time with God brings us peace and rest. And I don't mean like one little devotion and then, oh, life is perfect. Everything's good again. I'm talking about a daily routine in the word and in prayer, um, a daily expression to God about our need for him. Let me read Psalm 61 too. From the end of the earth, I will cry out to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. We cannot let this build up to the point to where we are out of control. Like I said, Jesus is our rest and Jesus is our peace. And he said earlier, we cannot put expectations on our husband to be our peace and to be our rest. He is not Jesus. And so we can't depend on him to be the savior. Yes, he can help us out. That's for sure. But we can't put those kind of expectations that's right. on him. Um, I would add this. Um, the home, your home, if you read scriptures, it's pretty clear that the home is supposed to be a place of peace and rest. Um, that's very, very clear. So no matter who you are in here, your home should be a place of peace and rest. And if your home is not a place of peace and rest, then you need to take a look at your priorities and maybe restructure some things so that it is. But also within the context of a family and a marriage, the Bible clearly tells us that the one who controls the peace and rest meter in the home is the wife. You have incredible power, ladies. I mean, it's unbelievable. People sometimes read the Bible and say, well, this means wives are just don't have any power. No, that's not it. You are the dictator of how much peace and how much rest is in your home. You really are. Um, Proverbs 21.9, and, and these are scriptures that we typically laugh at, and, and they are humorous, but... But listen to these scriptures. Better to live on the corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Proverbs 27, 15 through 16. A quarrelsome wife is like the dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm. I've described that before as Chinese water torture. Like that's what it's like, living with a wife that, that's just, there's no peace. Restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. Again, culture is influencing us, okay? We're in a generation now where many people are trying to be, I'd say wives and a lot of females, maybe not all of them, but they're trying to be the next Beth Dutton. Y'all know who Beth Dutton is from the show Yellowstone? Beth Dutton. That, that's, that's like what our culture says that wives and ladies, you should aspire to be. Her most famous quote uh, went along the lines of this, you are the trailer park and I am the tornado. Don't be the tornado, ladies. That's completely anti-biblical. Woman power, whatever, you read, you watch that show and you want to be her, don't be her. That is not who you're supposed to be. And guys in here, if you're dating a Beth Dutton right now, Run! <laughs> Your trailer park is going to be torn up, man. So again, we're trying to do what the Bible tells us to do. And I would just encourage the ladies in saying this. One of the greatest strengths that females have is your emotions. 
not, not all women, not all men, but typically uh, females tend to be more relational and emotional. Men need, tend to be more physical uh, and visual. Uh, so one of the greatest strengths you have is your emotions. But sometimes our greatest strength can become our greatest weakness. And so be very careful because you're not supposed to let your emotions control you. You are supposed to control your emotions. If you let your emotions control you, your life is going to be out of control. That goes for everybody in here. Uh, but if you control your emotions, it can be one of the greatest strengths that you have, right? Last we don't one. go on what we feel. You know, we go on what God says. That's right. What we feel. It's a good segue into the next one. Mm-hmm. And you knew this one was coming. Husbands need intimacy. Husbands need Well, I intimacy. would give you intimacy, but you're just using me. <laughs> using, you for, using you for what? For intimacy. <laughs> How could you say I'm using you when I married you, I bought you a house, I come home every night, I've never cheated on you, I'm using you? Really? This conversation really helped me so much because he did marry me and he did choose me and he does want me. Um, 1 Corinthians 7, 5 says, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. So if we're struggling in this area, we've got to figure out why. And just as we want his heart, we have to train our hearts to belong to him intimately. So maybe there is some past baggage or some past hangups. Um, and it's okay to get help to work through that. Go to a godly counselor. Um, some of the other hangups could be... Uh, just, just we'll deal with this more, but guys in here just know um, gone are the days where the majority of people wait until they're married. We're in a culture where many women have been abused. Many women have all kinds of things they need to work through. And that's where unselfishness comes in, where a man steps up as a man and says... I'm willing to wait. I'm willing to do whatever we need to do till you're comfortable in intimacy. So we're not saying here, just give it to him whenever he wants it. Okay, y'all. So I'm just, just want to say and that. And I didn't ahead. write this down, but I think one of the hangups could be, honestly, the church. Because I don't know about you all, but when I was growing up, the church never talked about this. And if they did, it was always kind of hush-hush, be quiet. This is actually a bad thing. We don't talk about this. Like you just, it felt um, awkward and weird. And I know it is, but I, I just feel like the church could have done a better job. And also maybe your parents could have done a better so job. So again, another reason we like to go verse by verse through books of the Bible. Um, about three years ago, we went verse by verse through the entire book, Song of Songs. And so it's on YouTube. Uh, you guys go watch it that didn't get to see it. The whole book just about is about this. It's about intimacy. And so I would encourage you, yeah, we, we said in that uh, sermon series, we said that typically sex is viewed one of three ways, three Gs, right? Uh, it's either a God to be worshipped, which is what culture tells us. Like sex is a God that we're to worship. Um, lay your body down on an altar of sacrifice and give it to your boyfriend or girlfriend. Uh, it's gross, which is really what the church is. Yeah, right. Maybe not taught, but the church has steered clear. We never talk about sex. We don't want to... It's like this no-no subject. And again, that's why we go through books of the Bible verse by verse because when we land on stuff, we deal with it. But, uh, and that's kind of given this idea that it's gross. Right? It's gross. Just don't talk about it. It's gross. The Bible teaches it's a gift. Right. It's a gift from God that's meant to be enjoyed. 
with a husband and wife inside the context of marriage. Go ahead. No, it can just be, it can be hard to work through that. Um, another reason that you might be struggling is that, like what we just talked about, you're overwhelmed and exhausted, which is a real thing. Um, and I would say, you know, just like we hate going to the gym, if we go to the gym, exercise has so many benefits. It's so good for us. And so let me share this article from the Center for Women's Health regarding a healthy sex life. It lowers blood pressure, builds immunity, reduces anxiety and depression, enhances sleep, aids in stress reduction, and it increases closeness to your partner. This um, was not even a Christian study, and I'm so glad that they included that because, like we said, this is a gift from God. Um, there is a hormone called oxytocin, and I heard a doctor say one time that this is the hormone that makes you forgive them when they leave their socks on the floor 30 times. So <laughs> it's really, really helpful. We'll talk after. <laughs> That's all I do is pick up socks. So, so it's clear that God um, gave us this as a gift. And there's a lot of benefits. Yeah. So. Um, I would add that the Bible makes very clear that inside the context of a marriage, when you get married, it basically says, you know, men, your body don't belong to you anymore physically. It's hers now. Ladies, your body doesn't belong to you anymore physically. Uh, it's his. That's how extreme it is. And then in 1 Corinthians 7, it says, do not deprive each other. Context is intimacy, except by mutual consent and for a time. So if you're fasting, it's okay. So you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then when you're done with the fast, the sex fast, basically, it says this, then come together again. And the context is as quick as you can. So that Satan will not tempt you through your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I just want to tell the wives in here this. Okay, I want you to think about this and consider this. <coughs> Ladies, wives, wives. You are the only non-sinful, godly, sexual outlet that your husband has. That's it. Nothing else. Anything outside of anything with you is sinful. And men are built different. As I said earlier, men are, tend to be more physical. That's why we do contact sports, right? Uh, men tend to be more visual. You're typically, females are not as physical and as visual. And so he's different than you in this area. His desire for intimacy most likely is much greater than your desire for intimacy. And so you need to know that going in. You need to know not to shame him and say things like, you just use me. He's not just, he's not using you. He's just, it's how he's built. You know what I mean? Um, it's, and, and you'll never fully understand that, just like he will never fully understand your need for connection and relations, uh, relationship and relations too, but like relationships, you know what I mean? And so um, so just, just know you're all he's got. So here's our homework for the week. Our homework is this for the husbands and wives in here. Do you have anything else? Yeah, I had one, one more thing right. I wanted to say to all the single ladies and young ladies. All the single ladies. All the single ladies. This is a gift within marriage. And I want, I want you to hear this from your church. I want you to hear this loud and clear from your church. 
Um, listen to Song of Solomon 7.14. The woman says, I have stored up for you, my lover, stored. She has restrained her whole life so that now she can share what she has stored up. And I love that because sex is a gift within marriage. Yeah, and it can be this beautiful thing. No matter what your past is, God gives freedom. That's right. God gives mercy and forgiveness. That's right. And in a husband and wife, they can do that as well. Here's the homework for the week. Everybody ready? Say amen. amen. The book of Song of Songs says that there are foxes that get into the vineyard of a marriage and eat the fruit of the marriage. And figuratively, it means there's things that can come inside your marriage without you even knowing. You're sleeping, and they come in, and they can ruin the best parts of marriage. I believe one of the biggest foxes in marriages today is this right here. Most people touch this more, connect with this more, spend more time with this than their spouse. So wives, here's your homework this week. He's going to buy you a gift on Tuesday. He's going to take care of it. It's Valentine's Day, right? But your gift to him this week is you're going to touch your husband more than you touch your phone. And the men in here, you have permission, okay? Everybody with me? Say amen. amen. Keep a tally of it. <laughs> Put that timer on your watch. That was three minutes. Three minutes, babe. Touch your spouse more than you touch your phone this week. Connect with your spouse more than you connect with your phone. Spend more time with your spouse more than you spend on your phone. All right, I heard that. I'll take that challenge. Any ladies with me, you'll take that challenge. Wives, you'll take that challenge. All right. Yeah, go All take right. the challenge. Yep. And then nine months from now. <laughs> see, when we did the Song of Solomon series, I'm not joking. About a year later, our church grew by like 5%. I'm not kidding. It's a gift. And so you'll remember this challenge and you'll name your kids after me if it's a boy. <laughs> There's another Josh. That's the 2023 phone challenge. <laughs> Did it? Okay, I got something for you. She doesn't know I'm giving her this, but uh, I've got a gift for you. Is this my Valentine's Day gift? Yeah. Okay. Here's this one. You gotta put this down, open it up, see what you get. I'm scared of you. <laughs> see what you get, okay. see what you get, you gotta open it. Okay, I'm opening. You thought I just got you one last service, yeah. didn't you? I don't. Open it. What is this? I'm scared. <laughs> Read it out loud. I didn't tell security about that. They're probably going to shoot me. What does it say? Okay. Being my wife is really the only gift you need. Oh, my goodness. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.